podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 conference i'm your host philip slavin thank you for joining us for our thursday or midweek episode whatever we want to call it of course we have two episodes every week they go out mondays and thursday mornings at 6 a.m that's central time sorry west virginia fans uh and and the way this show goes thursdays we will have guests that we bring on uh during the non-football season of course mondays if you are subscribed and listen on a regular basis you know that jamie uh, steyer and andy mitch join us to recap the Big 12 Hoops Weekend, talk football, whatever big stories there are. And and Thursdays we do interviews. That that includes today. And I've got a couple of really good interviews for us uh, for today's show. David Smoke of Sigum365 going to join the show today. We're going to talk about Baylor and the coaching moves made by Dave Aranda this offseason. New offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, an interesting uh, and potentially really good uh, wide receiver coach hire, an up-and-coming guy. Going to talk about that. And then we've got John and Kyle Two guys behind College Baseball Nation going to join us. We're going to talk a little Big 12 baseball. Uh, getting closer to an idea of what the Big 12 baseball season is going to look like. Uh, we're going to talk about their ranking of the top 50 teams in college baseball this upcoming season. They have eight of the nine Big 12 teams in their rankings. We're going to talk about those, the impact of the uh, extra year of eligibility, some teams to keep an eye on. So love talking all sports in the Big 12. Before we get to those, I want to talk about one thing. You know, sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> it's it's true. My wife would tell you it's more often than I will I'm willing to admit, but it's it's true. Uh, and we tweeted out today uh, in regards to the news that Kansas State and their season opener against Stanford was being moved from Manhattan uh, down to Arlington for the I believe it's the AT and T kickoff, whatever the Texas I for the All State Kickoff Classic. That's the name of it. I there's too many sponsors for things. Neutral site game. And I was disappointed. Um, it, it's cool to get these kinds of opportunities, but to move a game between Kansas State and Stanford, uh, their their best non-conference game, especially after a 2020 season where you didn't get to have as many fans in the stands, didn't get a marquee non-conference game, to have your first game of the season where a lot of fans are going to be excited, however many get to go to the stadium, to go to the stadium, to move it to Arlington, was I was a little disappointed for the fan base. Um, but then some more information began to trickle out, and, and, and I was wrong. I get it. Like, I, I am sorry for the fans. I'm not the biggest fan of neutral site games. But in a year where COVID wrecked athletic department budgets, your Kansas State, it's hard to turn down the promise of $2.8 million. Because that's how much Kansas State has been told they will receive by moving this season opener against Stanford to Arlington to AT&T Stadium for this game. Folks, that's a lot. It's a good chunk of money anyways. On average, Kansas State typically nets about $500,000 from a home football game. This is anywhere between 2.2 and 2.8. So 2.2 after expenses, 2.2 million per game. That's some. That's a good chunk of change. Now, all these numbers, according to uh, to Kelly Rob, uh, Kellis Robinette of the Wichita Eagle, uh, saw similar information from John Kurtz as well of uh, of PowerCat Game Day. Like I, I, I was wrong. This is the wise move. I, I don't love it for fans because they're going to be so excited to be able to see a college football game. It's a season opener. Um, but but this is a good move for Kansas State, and, and props to them for getting this opportunity. I'm pumped for college football to start back up. I know FCS still has games to play this spring. I get all that, and this isn't a shot at FCS, but like I'm, I'm ready for the normal college football season. I know it just got done. I'm already excited for the next one. Who's not? People who don't like college football or sports, or whatever. Um, so, interesting news, big thing for Kansas State. So let's just go ahead and get to our interviews. As I said, two great interviews. We're going to talk a little Big 12 baseball, talk a little Baylor football. Really good show, great stuff. Uh, make sure you rate the show, five stars, leave a review. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of the 1012 podcast, whether this is your first episode or you've been listening the whole time and still haven't subscribed but still seem to find the show every time. Thank you. Uh, we have the show available pretty much anywhere podcasts are available, Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, Anchor, which is our home site. Follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Follow us on the gram 
at 1012pod. Typically, we will have Instagram Lives on Wednesday nights at 8. That might move around. Uh, we didn't this week. Uh, interviews got in the way of it. Uh, we'll get back to that. Um, so with all that said, let's get to it. We are very excited to have a new sponsor for the 1012 podcast to start 2021. And that is Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, specifically the Lawnmower 3.0. Now, I understand family jewels, weird things to say, ha, ha, ha. We all love to make jokes about personal grooming. But let's get real for just a second. We've all tried. We've all struggled. It's not the easiest thing to do. Manscaped makes it easy. I'm not talking about going smooth as a baby's bottom. However you want it to be, whatever is most comfortable to you, I have a comfort level. I have now been able to reach easier than ever before. I'm sure you have one as well. So do yourself a favor and go check out the Lawnmower 3.0. Third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It's got a little LED light, which makes things easier to see. It's got a really quiet motor. It ain't loud. Easy to charge, easy to use, incredibly comfortable, incredibly well designed, specifically for you and me, guys. The lawnmower is not the only thing that's great about them. They've got other trimming products, including for your uh, nose and ear, which let me tell you, as you get older, as I have, once you start dealing with those ear hairs, you're going to thank me for going to Manscaped. So go to manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D, get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code 1012. Okay, 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com when you use promo code 1012, You are going to like this. This is going to be something you are really happy to have in your arsenal. So, manscaped.com, promo code 1012, 20% off, free shipping. And let me just say, you are never going to be more comfortable than you will after a Manscaped shave. While Texas may be replacing their entire coaching staff, they're not the only one who's going to look very different come 2021. Baylor, Dave Aranda, after just one year in Waco, replacing his entire offensive coaching staff, new OC, new offensive line coach, new uh, wide receiver coach. It's a big move for a guy in his first year, not something we usually see. Uh, and I'm, I'm very interested in these these new guys in Waco. Uh, very excited to have David Smoke of Sickin 365 back on the show with us. David, uh, welcome back, sir. Hey, man, great to have you. Uh, great to be with you again, Philip. Thank you very much. And, uh, Absolutely. Pretty good bull season for the Big 12, huh? It was, it uh, was. good to see him having a, uh, some success. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than 5-0 and other than, you know, maybe that TCU-Arkansas game not getting canceled. Yeah, that was the only one. I don't know. I, I, it just it was nice. You know, I don't know. Sometimes those bull runs, if you have a good run, you bring it up. If you don't, you go, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, it always <laughs> matters. Wins matter. And it's nice to see them have some nice success. And, and uh, it was good to see them run the table. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so we got a little Baylor to talk here tonight. Um, the, the the big news, you know, you don't, don't see a guy um, after his first year make a lot of moves like this, especially in a, a COVID year where you kind of get a pass. I mean, you could almost treat this as a, as a year zero for Larry Fedora. Or I'm sorry, for Dave Aranda. With, with all the things going on, with everything they lost from last year, whole new coaching staff, dealing with COVID, no offseason. It, it's, a, it's a crazy time. So to see him make these moves to me was, was kind of startling and not in a bad way. I, I'm, I'm almost kind of impressed that he had the, the gall to yep. look at his offense, decide this isn't what I want, and make a change when often we see coaches kind of stick by their hires um, maybe longer than we should. You know, I think it says quite a bit because um... – you know, I, John McClain, he's a Hall of Fame writer. He covers the NFL for the Houston Chronicle. He told me uh, yesterday that first-year coaches, uh, their second staff is usually their best staff because this is the first time they've truly been the ones that assemble the staff. There's going to be some mistakes. There might be, and in no particular order, maybe you lean on someone you know because you know them and you trust them, and it may not be the best fit or and then, then you kind of, it, it, you know, you shake it down and see where you are. You settle. I, I tell you what, uh, Baylor's offense was awful. We know that. It was uh, eight starters back. Charlie Brewer maybe had four to five halves in which he was able to be productive. They were always struggling to run the football. It was a bad deal across the board. And there were, it just seemed like there was 
something missing other than the obvious of moving the ball, moving the chain, scoring points, getting yards. The offensive line was awful. With all due respect to them, I know that they're college kids. Brewer did not have his best year at all. Uh, the receivers weren't getting open often. And if they were, I'm not sure they could get in the ball because it was not time to get in the ball or they couldn't get it to them, you know? And the running game was non-existent, even with Evan Lovett. And I think it says a lot. I think it shows that Dave Aranda's being dead serious. Uh, I'm sure he would rather not have had a coaching change. But for him to do that, and I mean, Philip, it happened quickly. I mean, it was like emphatic. And then he's done a nice job of getting this thing back together as far as the replacements with Jeff Grimes and company. So I agree with you. I think, you know, it would have been easy to say, you know, it was just so many things that went our, you know, went against us. There was a, there was the feeling that I'm getting that there was kind of a dysfunctional type coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball, which then could lead to what we saw, not just no spring drills or, you know, not many in-person meetings and, and the interruptions that there was a, like almost, trying to fit a square in a circle or vice versa. And there was a little bit of push and shove between Fedora and and perhaps George Munoz, who had come in from LSU on what they wanted. And I think Aranda showed a lot of, I don't think it's courage. I, I don't, maybe, you know, like you said, it's a lot of gall to say, hey, we've got a problem. I need to fix it. And I can't afford to let this go much longer. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you you said it. Baylor's offense was not good. 23.3 points a game, which was ninth in the Big 12, 100th naturally. Uh, they could not run the ball. Averages 90.3 rushing yards per game, which is 123rd, which is close to pretty close to dead last. It's a whole lot closer to dead last than it is to first. Um, so out goes Fedora. Out goes Joe Wickline, the offensive line coach. Um, in comes three new hires. And let's just let's start with the big guy. Let's start with Jeff Grimes, who comes in from BYU uh, after a an amazing season there with BYU. Was a finalist for the 2020 Bros Award. Uh, that was the number three scoring offense, ranked fourth nationally in passing efficiency, led all of of FBS in plays of 30 yards or more. Like you, you brought in a, a an, an offensive coordinator who is. Fedora has kind of been out of it for a little while. You bring in a guy who this just this year is one of the best in the game and has done a good job for BYU during his time there. I, you had him on the show today. Um, what's kind of your impression and uh, of of Jeff Grimes and and how quickly do you think he can turn things around at Baylor? He uh, he's very confident, but he's not arrogant. He's not cocky, but he knows that he's pretty good. He knows what the the the. The, the track record of what he did at Brigham Young. And in Brigham Young, you know, when he got there, he said that today when he got there four years ago, you know, he saw T, he saw a group of guys that wanted to win. Or want, no, they wanted to learn, wanted to get better. And sometimes, you know, that's coaches maybe have that. Just like someone like us in broadcasting, whatever we might do, whether it's a podcast or a radio show or TV, whatever, all the above, you know, you kind of have a knack of somebody if they're all in. And he said that about the guys he's already met, at least for now, who are on campus. There are not many and they will be later in the week, uh, about Baylor. But he saw that in Brigham Young, that they knew they needed help, that somebody, there was a disconnect there. And, I mean, you know, their team this year, I I mean, they could have played in, in, the, in the Power Five conferences and been competitive against pretty much everybody. And um, he had to build it, though. It wasn't done overnight. And, and, and this offensive line – has really been a mess, Philip, at Baylor since the last year of the Art Bryles run when he was replaced by Jim Grove, and they had Randy Clements, who's one of the most successful offensive line coaches. They had at times an offensive line that could do some things uh, under Matt Rule, but it was still a grind. I mean, it was a grind. And Grimes used to think that, that one, it's a mentality deal, uh, that they lost confidence, and that, you know, he brought in Eric Mateos, who was his Brigham Young offensive line coach there. Uh, so they are on the same page. He wanted Kyle Pugh, but that didn't work out. That was gone in less than a day, basically. And that was unfortunate there. He, I, I think Jeff Grimes has climbed the ladder of coaching. And what he did at Brigham Young cut everybody's attention was Zach Wilson, who was like a, maybe a three-star type talent coming to high school. And, and, and again, Brigham Young had struggled. And I think he knows if he can come to Baylor and he can turn this around and help them be competitive and be successful on offense, his next job is a head coaching job. He's ready for that. He's 52. He's worked under, and if you don't mind, 
Ken Hatfield, R.C. Slocum, uh, on that same staff, Phil Bennett. We've had all those guys on the show. Bob Stoll, he played for him at UTEP. On that staff, UTEP was Andy Reid was the offensive line coach for him. Marty Moynway, who's been in the NFL. Dirk Cutter, who's now with the Falcons, and he's been elsewhere. He's also coached under uh, Frank Beamer, Gene Chizik, and he's he's been you know he's been able to uh, soak all of this in. So he's got a really impressive resume, and it's starting to pay off for him. So if he could come into Baylor after where they were offensively this past fall, and get them to be able to be somewhat consistent. We're not asking for anyone to go out and score 35 or 40 points a game. They don't have to do that with the defense that they play under Aranda and Ron Roberts. They're really good. I think a couple of times they got mentally gassed. They got gassed badly against Oklahoma State, as you know. They they beat them. Spencer Sanders was fantastic, and so was uh, 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 everybody uh, uh, for them. Uh, and so they don't need to score 40 points a game. But I think if Grimes can get them in a position where they're consistent, they look like they know what the hell they're doing. You know, there's a lot of times it's just like, man, there just doesn't seem to be any week-to-week progress at all. And so with him being an offensive line guy and then bringing in Mateos and taking over the offense and keeping a couple of guys on staff, I, I think his next job would be a head coaching job somewhere at a Power 5 school. Yeah, there's there's absolute benefit, and I agree on the head coaching thing. There's absolute benefit to bringing in an offensive line coach that you are not just comfortable with, but have worked with. I think as offensive line is so important. I think it is second behind the quarterback in, in, in offensive success. And the uh, I know all the position coaches and the OC work together closely, but I mean, ha- having watched some of the relationships that have happened at Oklahoma State as I follow them, like if when your offensive line coach and your offensive coordinator are working in in sync in conjunction, you can really, really get some fun and, and, and exciting offense. Yeah, no, you can. You know, Ebner's coming back. They got a couple of guys that got some carries, but I like the fact that he was an offensive line coach. You know, you see, especially in this day and age where everybody's, firing the ball around left and right. Everyone looks at the glitz and glamour. It still all comes down. Can you run the football uh, to open up all of that? And even, even the jet sweeps or the, you know, whatever we see now, what zone reads, it's kind of like an option football in a, in a, in a wide open way. And I love the fact he was an offensive line guy. And then on top of that, he then basically doubles down by bringing in Mateos, who's an offensive line coach. And, and he's going to handle tight ends. You know, Brigham Young completed, I, didn't, I didn't saw this stat, 171 passes the last three years to tight ends. 171. And I don't know, you know, I didn't look at the, the actual breakdown of who caught him. And that doesn't mean Baylor has the tight ends to catch the ball that often. But they have a couple of pretty good ones coming back in Ben Sims and, and Dabney, who was a freshman that came in and did well. Um, but I love the combination. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to work the first year. It doesn't mean it won't with Grimes and Mateos. I, I also know that their leading rusher, Phillip, last year, Squirrel Williams, who got hurt in the game at Iowa State, when they had Iowa State in trouble in the, sec- in the second quarter. I mean, mm-hmm. Iowa State was on the ropes. Their leading rusher, I think, this year was Squirrel Williams, a kid out of Houston, and he played maybe a game and a half. They, I don't think they had anybody rush for over 300 yards this year net. Charlie Brewer might have been their leading rusher, but a lot of it, of course, negative sacks and stuff like that in place. So any anything in the running game with the offensive line and giving the quarterback protection, um, it, I think it's a great con- – and I think Dave Aranda knew he had to start at the offensive line before he looked anywhere else. And so now you got kind of a double whammy with that. Yeah. Uh, I, if I am doing my research correctly, uh, Mateos was also a like offensive line grad assistant under Sam Pittman at Arkansas yes. when Sam Pittman was coaching. And, and I don't think anyone's going to argue that Sam Pittman's not, if not the, at least one of the best offensive line coaches in college football. So that's certainly not a bad mentorship to have uh, if you're going to coach that particular position group. Yeah, and they've got to go get some offensive linemen. You know, they got to they 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 got to go and find some alpha. You know, they got to go get some dudes. As Grimes talked about, he needs guys that and he uses the word violent. 
In fact, reliable, violent offense is what he calls his style. And reliable means if you're confident and rely, if you can rely on what you're supposed to do, then it gains you confidence. And then if you have confidence, then you can be in a football term violent. And and then offense. So I, I, I think you almost have two offensive line coaches in one staff. And then, of course, in conjunction with what the tight ends will do, perhaps in the running game as well. Yeah, I, it starts with the offensive line, and they've got some work to do there, but I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, see what they're able to do. Now, I'm really intrigued by the new wide receivers coach, uh, Chancey Stuckey. This is a, a younger guy as far as a coaching. He spent just two years at Clemson. Neither one is a position coach. We're talking as, a, I believe, an offensive analyst and a, a developmental coach, so not a guy who's really doing the true on-the-field coaching. Um I'm really curious, what, what did Dave Aranda see that he decided to take, I mean, kind of a chance on, on, on Stuckey? Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, they almost in a way, and I'm not comparing Stuckey this year to George Munoz last year. George Munoz, his name was listed. People heard about him because Joe Burrow brought him up in his Heisman Trophy speech, although Aranda would have known him because he's on the same staff at LSU. He was not one of the 10 coaches. He was a football analyst. And they brought him in because, you know, maybe that's the next step for him, and it didn't work out. Chancey Stuckey's very young. He played the game. Here's what I think you're going to get from him. I think you're going to get a little of that youthful energy, so to speak. And he has been kind of done my homework. This guy seems to be maybe someone who's going to be a stud recruiter, that he is going to be able to not – and I'm not talking to just be up the position he he coaches, that this guy might be able to go in – to houses, to moms and dads and grandparents and uncles and whoever else, and the players, then there's a good chance he's stuck. He could end up being a very, very uh, – Sean Bell, the quarterback's coach, hell of a recruiter. They've got others on that staff that are very good. Juice Johnson, the running back's coach, has done a really good job. But I think Chancey Stuckey might be in that room as well. And I think that they feel like he might be somebody that could be like an up-and-coming guy that can recruit. And, of course, when you had the kind of offense they had – you need to go and recruit. Absolutely. And and look, that's the name of the game, folks. Like recruiting, yep. stars matter. And I, it, it, you don't have to have them to win football games, but you do have to have them if you have aspirations of, of playing for a national championship. It just That's just the reality of the situation. And I'm... My guess is if you're bringing in a guy like Dave Aranda to Baylor, your 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 aspirations are that kind of level. Um, and and I, I want to talk to you about that real quick um, as we kind of wrap up this conversation about the new coaching staff. You know, when when USA Today publishes the athletic department budgets for every school every year, Baylor isn't in there because they're a private university. They don't they don't have to release those numbers. Right. Um, but when you found out how much Matt Rule made, and I don't, I don't know how much Dave Aranda makes. I don't know if you do. That's not necessarily been released publicly that I could find. But when we find out that Matt Rule made over four million dollars in his like final year as the Baylor head coach, you kind of realize Baylor's got money to spend. And Baylor, as you have noticed, through it, people have noticed through the uh, facilities um, and across other sports, Baylor is invested in succeeding in in college athletics and succeeding in football. I I am coming around to the idea that. Baylor isn't just an underrated job in the Big 12. Um, that Baylor might just be one of the better jobs in the Big 12 because I think they've got more money than people realize. I think they're more invested financially in football than people realize. And I think that, look, when you look at recruiting classes and you you line them up along with uh, athletic department budgets, there's a very there are a lot of little similarities between the teams recruiting the best and the teams with the biggest budgets. That that there is a correlation there. It's not perfect. There are some weird examples, Clemson right. being one of them, but that's because Clemson doesn't spend money on anything but football. But I, I'm I'm curious from you, who someone around the program knows the program very well, uh, unbiased. Does it feel like Baylor is is really becoming one of those kind of high high potential football programs? I think if you look at a lot of things, one, their budget, oh, I'd say 10 or 15, not 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago might have been in that $20, $30 million range, the athletic budget. I'm not going to guess. I don't know for sure, but I know it's in the 80 to 100 million range now. Uh, they, I was told this one time when I moved here in June of 2010, and I always thought Baylor was the cute little private school. Obviously, they were the engine that sometimes could and a lot of times couldn't. And then they started having success. They have one of the most successful women's basketball coaches who makes, compared to perhaps maybe 
until the girl, the lady at Notre Dame, uh, McGraw retired, makes the, you know, close to what maybe slightly less or so close to Gino Ariyama, uh, to, to the, the, the coach at South Carolina, Stanford. She's in that range in Kim Mulkey. Scott Drew has grown so much in just the, well, it's been 10 years since I've been here. Scott Drew is not paid little money. He's making some good money. He, and he's earned it because of where he started. Uh, Baylor, I had somebody tell me this because I was bringing this up. And this is still when they struggled a little bit, even with attendance at Floyd Casey before they finally won a Big 12 title. And then winning cures everything for the most part. Told me this, don't ever underestimate the money that Baylor can get. Don't ever underestimate the money they can raise, no matter what. And think about this, Philip. They have been through a lot of stuff. You know, they've been through Art Bryles getting fired. They've been through that scandal. Uh, there's this hovering thing about what might happen. Who knows with the NCAA? It depends on how much teeth they have in their mouth by the time they decide on something because, you know, they're losing some of their clout. Um, they've been through this pandemic. They've been through the Big 12 withholding 25% of their annual revenue for a couple of years or so. They haven't blinked. I'm not saying it's been easy. I may be wrong here. I don't think anybody in the athletic department like lost their job. There might've been a few, you know, you see about a lot of people taking furloughs, a lot of people taking pay cuts. I think Mac Rhodes did a phenomenal job and cut back in other places that so other human beings would not like lose their jobs. It was close, but I think they did a pretty good job. And I think people stepped up for them. So as far as football, Dave Aranda was the hot assistant coach last year. Mm -hmm. Jeff Grimes is the hot or among the top two or three hottest head coaches this year. And Baylor was able to hire both of them when they were at pretty high demand. Now, Aranda didn't have a lot of opportunities. I think UNLV was one of them, but that was just a matter of time because of what he did at LSU. And then you look at what LSU did defensively this year after he left. <laughs> I mean, they were a nightmare. That was a dumpster fire. And even Ed Orgeron took some shots at, hey, we're going to be much better off on defense. Dave Aranda in that defense that won the national title. Burrow in the offense won the national title. But Aranda did a great job about mid-year making changes along the way, and it turned out to be where they could win the national title. Uh, they are not afraid to pay. Now, the thing that eventually gets them at times is they're still not Oklahoma, and they're still not Texas, and they're not going to be them. They'll, they'll ne unless they win – New Year's Day bowls are getting the playoff and they do that consistently. They're not going to be able to compete. And, and even with some of the other schools that do well, like Oklahoma state, you know, they have to be very smart. They have to get a bang for their buck with recruiting. They have to be able to do that. And they use, they've done it the last, well, rule did it rule had a different philosophy than the Bryles group. Then, then rules of philosophy was different than what Aranda's is, but Dave Aranda, what he could help them, get to a level of championship is who he could bring in defensively. You know, they got the transfer defensive lineman, Siaka uh, Apu from LSU. That's where he's going to be able to get some dudes. And I call them like guys that can flat. These are al different make alpha dogs. And, um, and then now with what you have with Grimes, I think Grimes is going to be able to find a way to, to be able to get some people that can help them be better than just pretty good on offense is the quarterback room and the offensive line room and get some dudes that are men grown men and make them into grown men uh they will not they they don't have AM and texas and those kind of budgets they don't but i'm telling you they can be sneaky um they can be sneaky with what they have when they need it i'll just say that and i'm not saying in a negative way or any kind of way that's like trying to insinuate i'm talking about they will pay their facilities fill up their facilities are phenomenal and they're they have plans to build a brand new uh, basketball arena they have plans that's already on, i mean they got everything laid out and of course they slowed down because of the pandemic they have plans to build a brand new football facility on the same land of where there is now but on the actual brazos river that's white a creek is they hit a nine iron across the water to the stadium so they're not afraid to go raise. They raise a bunch of money. And it's a private school, and it's a small enrollment, but they have the money they need when they need it. And, and I've seen that over the last 11 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say Baylor is 
Baylor is invested in being successful at sports, and that's that's what you've got to do. You've got to be willing to spend to to win. And I, I yeah. again, I I don't think they're a few years away in any way, shape, or form from from national championship. It, don't 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 confuse it there. But I do think, as far as jobs go, from a football standpoint in the Big Twelve, Baylor is. I think most Big 12 fans would be surprised. I think a lot of them were surprised that they landed Dave Randa. I think Baylor, especially after the last two hires with Rule and Randa, two of the hottest guys when they got hired, it's time to accept that Baylor is kind of a sleeping giant. They're a school that is in, that will spend. They are they are invested in in sports and they're, they're located in they're the middle win. of they're located in the middle of the state of Texas with Dallas is 70 miles 80 miles north. Austin's uh, 60, 70 miles south. Houston is a three-hour drive southeast. East Texas, with a lot of that great athletic speed down there, is an hour and a half, two hours away. They're, I mean, they are, you know, Bryles even said that back when he, when he started talking about some of the, they just needed to, to prove they could make people, you know, enjoy the game, have some success, but they are in centrally located in the state with all this talent. And uh, and they're kind of a national. I'm not saying a national brand like Ohio State, Clemson, all that. Not, but they have a national following because of who they are. And I agree with you. I think it it it, it it's a sleeping giant. Bryles woke up the giant. Rule kind of modified the giant. And now Aranda's job is to try to take it to another level that they've never seen. But they still have to win a championship in the conference before we talk about the next level. And that's Aranda's goal. And that's what. I think he truly believes he can. Agreed. I think it was a great hire. Um, I think the potential is there. And I, I think it, it, I think it's a few years. We'll see how the coaching staff does. And they've got to recruit, as we mentioned, especially on the offensive right. line. But I, I don't, I think they're, I think they're closer to getting back there than people want to admit. Um, David, you are a pleasure as always to have here on the show. I, I enjoy our time as always. You are, you are great. So for everyone who wants to check out the work you do following and covering the Baylor Bears, uh, where can they do so? Back in April of 6th, April 6th last year, during the pandemic, we launched a radio show on Sikkim65.com. And it has been one of the most amazing journeys in the teeth of a pandemic with all hell breaking loose, excuse my language. And we've had unbelievable guests. Uh, it's it's um, it's been so much fun. My son Craig's a part of it. Paul Catalina's a co-host, and Armstrong Sims is our producer. We have a TV studio, Philip. We're on the corner of you know. I mean, we are live in a studio. It's not just a radio show. It's on the and and we have a local radio station on occasion that we do some things with them as well. A regular terrestrial radio. We're on an app, Sikkim three sixty five. We're online, Sikkim three sixty five dot com. We're on YouTube and Periscope and Facebook and whatever else where you can either listen to us or watch us. And my Twitter feed is at David Smoke, D-A-V-I-D-S-M-O-A-K. And uh, I'm not as active on Twitter as I used to be, but I, I'm still active on what we do in covering Baylor. And so I appreciate you let's discuss that as well. Absolutely. I've, I've caught up with the radio show when I can. It's a great show. Uh, and your set is beautiful. I've, I've seen pictures. I've seen the video of that set. That is a, that's a fantastic set you have there, sir. Man, it was, we started in April to start the show from someone's like upper tier of a, a, a makeshift second level of a house. That's where we started on card, like card tables. It was crazy. And then uh, in the end of August, early September, we moved into the studio and I'm telling you, I've never been more proud. I've, I've gone, I've worked in TV. I've worked in some nice places. Uh, but I, that's about as proud as I've ever been when I walk in the door with what we have and how quickly we're able to make that happen. And it's a success because we have great sponsors. We got them on quickly. They have stayed with us throughout. And, and now we, we get some of the bells and whistles. And, it's, and I appreciate it. I'll tell, I'll tell everybody involved in that as well. Awesome. David Smoke, again, thank you very much. Everybody go check out uh, Sikkim365. It's good stuff. And, David, we hope to have you on again, sir. Philip, anytime, my man. Appreciate you. Hey, guys. Christine Butterfield here. And Madison Morris. And together, we host the Winning Women podcast. This podcast is all about women's empowerment and creating a positive platform for females to tell their stories. Each week, we interview players, coaches, reporters, journalists, and much, much more. The conversations we have are unique to each guest, and they always have words of wisdom to share. 
Listen to the Winning Women podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Presented by the Highball Network. We're going to talk a little Big 12 baseball today. It's been in the news. College baseball is getting closer. The season's getting closer. I would expect we get a schedule sometime in the near future. So I'm very excited to have the guys from College Baseball Nation, John and Kyle, joining us today to talk about Big 12 baseball. Guys, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Okay, so now I swear I'm not a creep, um, but I started following you guys last year when I was at the Frisco Classic. I was there taking photos for Oklahoma State. Uh, they were in the in that series uh, for Cowboys Ride for Free. And I'm uh, Kyle's the one I'm pretty sure was like sitting one row or two in front of me, and I think he had like his ball cap or a cup he had the logo on something so i was like oh cool well, i don't know this site and all i ever follow is d1 baseball and college baseball america or baseball i forget what the other one is um so let's go check out what these guys are because i like the other guys you know sometimes you the, the marquee ones get a little bit too much credit so um i've been following you guys since then love the work you do a lot of fun really cool site so i, I just as a as a kind of a fan um, i'm pumped to have you on the show today Appreciate well, it. So yeah, that's a beautiful ballpark out there in Frisco. Mm-hmm. Just want to say, always a great way to start off a podcast by saying, I swear I'm not a creep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a sports podcast, so sometimes you have to clarify those things. You just, <laughs> you just never know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay, so I want to start with this. Um, Kendall Rogers, as we mentioned, D1 Baseball, uh, had put out a tweet last week kind of breaking the news that the, the Big 12 coaches uh, had agreed to a season structure that would include 32 conference games, which is up from 24, which meant four-game series on the weekends, and that non-conference games would kind of be up to uh, each school, whether they wanted to do them or not. And at the time this tweet came out last week, um, he also reported that Big 12 athletic directors were expected to vote on this on Tuesday. That would have been this past Tuesday that has come and gone, and then it has not happened. Uh, last update from him was that it still seems pretty set with four games each weekend, but there's a little momentum for a normal schedule. I wanted to kind of pick you guys' brains, see what you guys are hearing, and you know, uh, just to add to that, I know the SEC announced last week that they were going to go with a normal schedule structure, Sun Belt followed suit. So I'm wondering, what are you guys hearing as far as the Big 12 right now, and and what kind of influence do you think the the SEC and other conferences might be having on the Big 12's decision? Yeah, there's a lot there. So first off, I was hearing the same thing about the Big 12 potentially going to those four game weekends, and as soon as we got that news, we actually had a Big 12 coach reach out to us saying hey, just wait a minute, it's not quite finalized just yet. There's still some conversation there, and of course the ADs have to vote on that. Uh, there was it, it was reported that potentially that vote would happen yesterday. I know the ADs had kind of a, a busy slate to, to work through in terms of a Big 12 uh, conference, things that needed to be decided, and it seems like they didn't quite get to that vote last uh, yesterday. Um, so the expectation now at this point is that there's decent odds that they'll get to that next Tuesday. And if that's the case, then hopefully the Big 12 can put together a schedule, either three games or four game weekends. And then I think teams are going to be kind of finalizing all their non-conference games, which are still expected to be in the schedule um, before then hopefully in the next week or two, we actually start seeing some Big 12 schedules being released. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're sticking with non-conference. I know the Big Ten right now is holding strong on their no non-conference uh, plan in baseball. I know that uh, Oklahoma is still planning to participate in this year's Frisco Classic, which, by the way, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you like baseball, you just like college baseball. It's a beautiful stadium. Kyle's right. Uh, and it's a really fun little little weekend series. Uh, I have seen that uh, University of Little Rock, Euler, as it's so belovingly called in my neck of the woods, uh, has put up their schedule for the year and includes uh, a few games at Oklahoma State. So it does look like Big 12 teams are going to play non-conference games. Uh, in my opinion, and I'm curious what you guys think, in my opinion, like I think it's important. I, I, you can The Big 12 is a is a really good baseball conference. There's no arguing with that. But even still, having those non-conference games can, can only, I think, help with resumes and, and help present uh, other opportunities to showcase just how good or bad, in some cases, teams actually are. Yeah, for sure. I think having having the non-conference games that can definitely help. It can boost RPIs for the for the smaller teams and help can help with the budget for the smaller teams. It can help showcase more teams. It's just a better better deal overall to have non-conference games, I think uh, especially it's local. Yeah, especially local with like smaller travel, uh, less 
less contact tracing risk. That's still an issue that that the Big 12 and other conferences are going to have to deal with um, going forward this year until the vaccine gets widely spread. But yeah, we have some good looking baseball coming up in the Big 12, hopefully. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting uh, for the Big 12. I think non-conference play is actually maybe extra important this year in the Big 12. And that's because I think the Big 12 is pretty deep. So I think that if you look back over the last few years, how many Big 12 teams make it into the NCAA tournament, uh, the best Big 12's ever done was a few years back with seven teams. And it's really hard to get seven out of nine teams into uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, one of the big things that Kimmy cares a whole lot about is that conference record. And if, uh, like we're thinking at least, the, the Big 12 is, is potentially the deepest it's ever been, you're probably going to have a few teams that are three, four games at least below 500 in conference that are probably pretty good teams. And if they have a few non-conference wins to really beef up that resume and RPI, the conference as a whole might be able to justify that, hey, the seventh best team really deserves to be in a regional. Kyle, you kind of hinted at something I, I am curious about, the teams, you know, playing local. Do you get the feeling or do you, have you heard from play people that in non-conference you're going to see more kind of local scheduling, fewer teams going far away and, and, and more teams in the case of like Little Rock and Oklahoma State scheduling teams nearby? That's what you, you kind of hope to see, um, just traveling less overall in a, in a year where they're not going to have any, any or many fans in the stands to like – help fund the traveling budget it might be nice to um that not to travel as far uh we you notice it in, in like in the in the texas team big 12 they generally only play non-conference games against teams that are close it's harder for tech because they don't have as many teams out there but uh yeah you notice you notice like texas and baylor are all playing the teams right along i-35 so it kind of kind of is um what you expect to see this year um especially just with all the extra difficulties. Yeah, and I think one thing that you're already seeing is that there were several or at least a few Big 12 schools that had Big 10 non-conference conference series scheduled. Um, I think, for instance, Texas Tech was planning uh, a, a Big 10 series, and that's out the window, uh, and they have to, to last minute replace that. Uh, I know one of the first casualties of, of this year was NC State was planning on traveling to Texas for an early season tournament. They backed out of that never really signed anything officially, but it's kind of understood that travel costs might've been a, a factor in that. Why well, travel all the way to Texas when North Carolina has some pretty good teams around there might be able to save a buck or two. Yeah. Let me, let me just say, I'm fine with teams nearby as an Oklahoma state fan. Euler's neat. Um, I, I, I fingers crossed that somehow Arkansas and Oklahoma state find a way to bring the hogs to O'Brate stadium. Since uh, obviously I would, I would expect that Oregon state's not going to, uh, come this year, and, and I would like a I would like a really neat non-conference for uh, for OSU to open that beautiful, beautiful new stadium that they're finally going to get to play in. Finally. I was I was lobbying for that. I was trying to get that going on social media this summer. <laughs> hey, Arkansas, if, if you can't maybe fly as easily in, in this year as a normal year, Oklahoma State. It's a long bus ride, but it's it's definitely a bus ride away. Just you know, like a few hours, and I mean, imagine that great opening to you know, SEC opponent or even getting any of, getting Arkansas in there at any point. I think that could be a, a pretty special series. I'm down in Houston mm-hmm. and I want to try and make it up to uh, Stillwater for that training stadium. That it, it looks so nice. It's yeah. unreal. Really it's unreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm excited to, to go out for a series. I'm, I'm ready for the schedule to come out. Uh, so speaking of Oklahoma State, uh, one of the, as we've mentioned, you, you guys think the Big 12 is pretty deep, but you guys put out your preseason top 50. Um, for those who don't realize, there are only nine Big 12 teams to play baseball. Iowa State takes this one out, um, but the other nine do. You guys have eight of nine, everybody but Kansas, in your top 50. What is it about the Big 12 this year that that you guys think makes it such such a deep conference? Yeah, I think one thing that really helps the Big 12 out is that in recent years, um, last year basically, some of the, the teams that were lacking a little bit were teams that you expect to be pretty good. So like TCU and Texas were a little bit down last year. And you know that those two schools aren't going to stay down for very long. Both do a really good job with recruiting. And, and Schlossnagel does a really good job with player development. And so one thing that gave the Big 12 a huge boost right there is that we think Texas and TCU are going to be back in the top 25, back competing to host regionals and super regionals. 
And then when you look down the rest of the, the conference, a, a lot of players are coming back. It's true, a lot of places. But um, a lot of those schools that were, were doing really well, like for instance, a team like West Virginia hosted a regional in 2019. I don't think they're quite that good this year, but they still have some of those guys left behind. And that program is definitely trending generally in the right direction. So it's, I think it's safe to say that these rankings were the hardest rankings we've ever done because first we went from 25 to 50, but also there's so many guys coming back, so many freshmen coming in that would have gone to the MLB draft in a normal year and so little data on summer ball and on 2020 season. So right now we have high expectations for the big 12, but really I think it's gonna take a few, few weeks in the season before we get a really good feel on who's the top competitors. Yeah, so let me run down your list here. You've got Texas Tech at three, Texas at 12, uh, or TCU at nine, Texas at 12, Oklahoma State at 27, Oklahoma at 36, Baylor at 43, West Virginia at 49, and Kansas State at 50. So yeah, two of them are right there on the edge, but that doesn't matter. They're still in there. Um, Look, Texas Tech's become kind of a baseball school, which is awesome. TCU and Texas, as you mentioned, two teams at Perennial have been really, really good teams. Oklahoma State right on the edge there. Um, But of all these teams... Is there one that you maybe ranked a little bit lower than and and looking at them now kind of go, we're, we're lower there, but we also think there's a real potential for them to, to shoot up? Uh, I, I'll take this one first. I would say between Oklahoma State and Baylor, we have them both right outside the top 25. I think one thing that I like about Oklahoma State is that I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to pitch. Um, maybe some question marks around, uh, I mean, not huge question marks around hitting. There's always going to have some power. Uh, they have a little bit of a lack of pitching or of catching depth, which is, it's one, th- one thing we're hearing from coaches is it's not just going to be who's the best team. It's going to be who, which teams are deep, which teams stay healthy. Because if you lose a catcher or two to COVID protocols and your Oklahoma State, I don't really feel confident that they're going to be able to have that third guy that, that can at least be passable. Um, Baylor, Baylor strikes me as a team. I mean, Steve Rodriguez has done a really good job of making Baylor consistent. I, I think losing shortstop Nick Lofton hurts them. I mean, it's a really talented guy. You never want to lose your middle infield, especially in a year when a lot of teams didn't lose a lot of guys. Losing a guy like Nick Lofton is tough. I think that, like, I, I think they're still a pretty well-rounded team. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them move into the top 25. I don't know, Kyle, if you agree or disagree. Yeah, you, you kind of took mine. Uh, I liked Oklahoma State last year. I did, a, did an in-depth piece on them uh, to start the year, and their offense scared me last year. It was really good. Um, they're, they're, they lost some of that talent, um, but they can they – can, like they have some good pitching, and they're, they're definitely powerful uh, – at the bat, so they are always have the opportunity to, to jump back into the top 25. And like you said, Baylor, yeah, and losing Justin Nick Lofton, so they're maybe not like the high-end talent like Texas Tech has, but they have some some deeper talent that is maybe a little bit more fresh. Uh, so like once they get once they get some more experience, then who knows? Um, Oklahoma, you never know, but losing your your entire starting rotation is kind of hard to come back from. They still have some talent from last year. Uh, but you got to figure out that pitching rotation. We'll see. I think one thing that comes to mind here too is that it matters if these are three-game weekends or four-game weekends in the Big 12. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing. So we have Kansas State, for instance, at, at 50 right now, and they have Jordan Wicks, who might go in the first round, probably top couple round type guy, as their Friday night ace. And if you're doing three-game weekends, you know, he's pitching a third of that series, right? But you move the four games and you kind of dilute the impact of a, of a really standout ace a little bit. So, you know, for Kansas State, if I were them, I would be rooting for a three-game weekend series in conference play. So so that's that leads me to a really good question. I like that. Okay, so in that case, which teams do you think would prefer four-game weekends or would benefit from those compared to teams that would prefer to stick with the traditional three game series i think for me the first thought is pitching i mean you need pitching depth to be able to go four games and generally the rule of thumb 
in, in all of college baseball and it's playing out in the Big 12 right now is that the best teams have the most pitching depth. So if you looked at the top, like Texas Tech, TCU, Texas have a lot of, of pitching depth. And I think that they'd be really well poised to do four game weekends. I really like TCU in that regard because they're bringing back their entire weekend rotation. And I think it's probably safe to say that their weekend rotation, uh, like, I'm not sure if if it's a normal three game weekend series, if they have that same weekend rotation this year, because there's a lot of talented guys coming in that are going to be competing for that rotation. So right now, uh, talking to Jim Schlossnagel, I, I think he has five or six guys he thinks are competing for the weekend rotation right now. And that's that's really becomes pretty crucial if you go to four game weekends, right? You all of a sudden have a guy who probably could be starting on Saturday or Sunday elsewhere in the conference. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, let's wrap up on this. Um, I want to word this the right way because I don't want it to sound bad. But obviously with, with COVID and, and what the NCAA allowed was all these guys to come back and, and have an extra year of eligibility from last year if they wanted it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, which teams do you think have most benefited or from that extra year of eligibility from ha- have had maybe not just so much more guys come back, but really have benefited from some of the specific guys that they've been able to get back for an extra season that they otherwise wouldn't have. I mean, I, my gut is to go TCU. They lost nobody to professional baseball, which just doesn't happen in a normal season for TCU. So no one went in the five round draft and no one draft free agents. They have a sixth year senior coming back and they're not alone in the country. That like the, the idea of like that 24 year old senior or whatever it might be that happens this year is, is gonna be a common theme, I think. But anytime you can lose absolutely no one, I mean, that's that's a, a pretty great thing to have. And then when you give it a top, top ranked coach like Schlossnagel, uh, basically his whole staff back. I mean, it's, I think TCU has a chance to be really dangerous. All right, Kyle, John, you guys are awesome. I appreciate your time tonight. Uh, this has been a whole lot of fun. I am, I am thrilled for, for college baseball. I'm not as, as I tell my good friend, Joel, who's a baseball junkie. Um, I'm not like a baseball fan, but I love college baseball. Like college baseball is fun. And I honestly, I think college baseball has the second best postseason outside of March Madness. It's super interesting. It's fun. Also, there's games on like all day, which is just who doesn't want to just put on UC Santa Barbara versus Clemson on a (laughs) Thursday afternoon. That's just, that's, it's March Madness again. It's great. I love it. Um, you guys are awesome. Love the site. Do me a favor. If everybody wants to check out the work that you do covering college baseball all season, where can they do so? Yeah, follow us on social media at College Ball Nat, College B A L L N A T. We also have a website, www.collegebaseball.info. That's the best place to check us out. All right. Uh, we're going to try to get both of you back on as the season uh, progresses because this has been a lot of fun and I, I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, so thanks again, guys. Everybody go check them out and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Podcast Network.